yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. She was once the face of RTE's political journalism. Today, Martina Fitzgerald is the CEO of Scale Ireland, which represents some of the country's most ambitious startups. Martina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year to you. And here's to, to 2023. And ha- did you like my Pat Kenny voice? And Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> Martina, you had a very distinct voice in political broadcasting. Millions of people used to see you on their TVs. We're going to talk mainly about tech in a minute, but first... When did you know that it was the right moment to leave media behind? I think very quickly. I think I had banked a very good career and at a high level. And I had done everything I wanted to achieve. And it was a privilege. I was based in Leinster House. um, And I had great colleagues across the board. And I don't just say in RT, but across the board. Um, And I had covered some really historic and important events. And I ticked a lot of boxes and I wrote my book. I went to number one. That um, was Madam. Madam Politician. Politician. And that title matters a lot because I remember the publisher at the time going, Madam and Politician in a title that won't sell. But it did go to number one through perseverance. And I think, I think Nancy Pelosi at one point had a copy under her arm. She did. She? I, I went on a visiting fellowship to Washington and study and do research with, in Columbia University on female politicians. And I met Ma- Nancy Pelosi and gave her a copy of my book. And um, I met a whole range of senior female politicians and interviewed them. And yeah, it traveled well. I even went to China. (laughs) What's Nancy Pelosi like? Um, Well, my meeting would have been very short with her, but very competent, uh, very serious, very focused. And I suppose I met her daughter, Christine, and uh, she had a book on Nancy Pelosi. And you don't get to where she has got to in the American political system without that drive, ambition and planning and relentlessness. Mm. Um, And I also, you know, and fundraising, let's be honest, in in the American system to succeed at elections, you need a lot of money. So uh, there's a lot of things going against women in politics, but to succeed at that level and to be maintained at that level and the regard that people have for her, 
takes a huge amount. Mm, particularly it's an extraordinary for women. career. I remember that women in 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 politics that are viewed as ambitious uh, are viewed often negatively, mm. and sometimes by female voters. That was part of the research that I was looking at that was conducted in America. Almost a pejorative. Yeah, word it's, it's sad, but I think that is turning, and you can see that the elections, you know, the midterms in America, and also here that the dial is moving, and it's a positive. In your mind, was leaving RT a natural time to step out of media? It was. And to be honest, I kind of had made that decision anyway. I had, I say I had banked a great career, but it was. And I was, I was at that point, you know, of do you try a, and look at something else? There's a new chapter that, you know, you can begin or you can keep going. Um, but to be honest, I, I'd done it. And it was time to move on and to look at, you know, new opportunities. And while they may all sound like cliched terms, it really was. And some people stay and, you know, they do different things around media. That wasn't for me. I think when you're gone, you're gone. And I'd made that decision. And I was approached by by several organisations and news outlets in relation to roles. But it it just wasn't for me. I didn't even engage in punditry or anything or, or write articles. The only article I wrote was relating to my research for The Guardian, and that mm. was it. Did we try to poach you? No? I, I'm not going to say <laughs> anything about anyone who did or didn't, but the point is, I had made that, and I think you have to have, um, you have to have a clear idea of that. And to be honest, I've met a, a number of people who have come to me who have left, I suppose, certain media organisations and they've sought advice or, you know, of what mm. what they should be doing, and it is difficult because you you grow up and you, if you if you do want to be a journalist, and I did from an early stage, and there's that adrenaline rush. There is that adrenaline rush, um, and it can become a fix, you know, mm. but uh, to to feed it. But there is a point I think for me, and there's some people who will have forty years in journalism. I had twenty, best part of, and it was time to get off that merry-go-round and try for something else and something that was also going to challenge me, and also push me, and to to learn something new because I think I, I had you know when you cover, you know, you know, um, and this comes around with you. It's different in tech, but when you cover a certain you know change of government or you sir you know the budgetary process or you cover certain things, you you can cover them every year, and for me, you know. Uh, yeah, the box was ticked and it was time to move on and take a jump. And I didn't know exactly what it was at that stage, but I took a year off. And I think that was the best decision I ever did. And I've written, I've read so many books about professional sabbaticals and I I actually would, if people can afford them, take it. Because you do clear your head and decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And you, you will need time to take that. You emptied your wardrobe first, though, right? I did. I mean, I'm going to always be remembered for that quote about getting rid of all the color, multicolored coats. But I had an orange coat. I don't think I've ever worn orange in my personal life. But it was a great TV color. I had pink, bright pink. I even remember when I went to with the former Taoiseach and Kenny covering his his state visit to Japan. I mean, I matched, uh, you know, uh, in one of these car factories, a car that was going out. You would never have seen that. As you can see today, I'm wearing navy. I'm, I'm back to the black minimalism. Mm. I don't have to wear those bright colours, but they're very effective for the cameras. Uh, so, yes, I, and I have to say the charity shops around me did very well. And <laughs> rightly so. I think you call them Dulux colour. They were, sometime. and they were that bright. <laughs> So you spent a, a year traveling. I did. I, I went to uh, Laos 
um, in Asia and I did um, some teaching and on women empowerment and communications to women who haven't got the opportunity to even go to secondary school and there were many of them that I taught were going on to college or had the ambition to and it's certainly uh, very humbling to see people who had to walk through really tough terrain to get to secondary school and against all the odds make it you know there that they have an opportunity to go uh, to college um, and you know anyway it was very inspiring as well I also went to America did a visiting fellowship in Columbia University and it was research on female politicians there and particularly the women who had first elected in the midterms in 2018 and I did other things but uh, and I went to China believe it or not I got an invitation to go to China to talk about women in public life which may be ironic but <laughs> there were so and I went to, to Europe so um, and I also got involved with Running Start in America which helped women, uh, young women in high school get involved in public life and I've still got an association with them to this day and involved with them. So I tried to use that, that year carefully and to do things I wouldn't normally do um, and that gave me time to think of what I did want to do and I knew I wanted a leadership role, I knew I wanted it to be exciting. You know it's very hard when you, you're talking about that adrenaline fix in media to that you also want to um, you know to do something that is equally ambitious and has an impact. Is there anything you miss about that world? Not standing outside Leinster House on a cold day like today. That's for one or in the, the recent bad weather. Um, I th- Listen to colleagues. I have great colleagues and I still have great friends from Warty and from particularly in Leinster House that there were just such great colleagues. And we all helped each other out. There's always, I think, in journalism, who gets the story first and, you know, this competitive edge. But there's also great collegiality and even you see it in the political life with people who might spar in the door behind the scenes having a coffee together. And the colleagues are great, but I still keep in touch with many of those. Um, the deadlines at the end were very difficult, I think, for everyone in, in Leinster House or we're sitting here in Independent House. You are working now uh, to social media, the demands of social media that's ever present. And it is difficult. For, and every journalist today is working, particularly in politics, is working really hard. And they're giving it the role and they're working long hours. And I, I don't think people outside of the media realise the relentlessness of those deadlines and the social media demands to be first or to move it on. And so I have a great admiration for all my colleagues who are still working it because it certainly is fast paced. Mm. Is there anything about that life that you have taken into this life in, uh, as CEO of Scale Ireland? Well, th- I think all those skills, I- I've spoken to so many people and I think skills are transferable. Um, you know, you're dealing with, you know, politicians or the media, you're dealing with founders and CEOs um, you're dealing with people in leadership roles. Uh, you're communicating to them um, and you're also, I suppose, breaking down, you know, jargon and trying to explain where you're coming from to others. And is there de- any similarity in adrenaline? For example? Well, th- it is very fast paced. I, I don't have to tell you that. I mean, um, very fast paced. You're dealing with a small, not for profit, representative organisation that's dealing in the tech uh, space and most startups um, that I'm dealing with, I mean, in the early stages, they are HR, finance, communications, they are everything. So you're representing them and you're a small organization. So the ambition is big and so is the workload, but it is very engaging, it is very dynamic, and it's very exciting, I have to say. Because I don't think there's many organisations that your members would, you know, lead solutions on everything from finding an, a tech solution for for worming or for vaccinations for worming to robotics to food uh, wastage to, you know, 
I mean, the list goes on. It's to, it, to yeah. I mean, I mean, you could just to to hollow toys. I'm just thinking of them who I met yesterday. I mean, just dealing with children and and their imaginations and what can be done. You might explain briefly at this point what Scale Ireland is and what principally it does. Okay, Scale Ireland is a not-for-profit, independent, representative organisation for uh, the indigenous Irish tech. So for Irish tech startups all the way up uh, and scaling companies. So it could be representing anyone from a student entrepreneur in college um, uh, to someone who is developing their solution but not yet gone to market to many of those companies that have begun their journey and some who are scaling at a, at a pace all the way up to the tech unicorns that are valued at $1 billion. So it's that entire community that we represent, first of all. And everyone who operates from agri-tech, clean-tech, fintech, um, enterprise solutions. Um, I mean, there's such a range of sectors. Uh, and that's also what's quite exciting because you're always learning. You're always hearing of exciting new solutions and the ambition that they have to further those globally. Um, so in terms of what we do, well, we represent them at the table. So we uh, make proposals. Politicians. Politicians, uh, stakeholders, Enterprise Ireland, the Irish... Ireland's Strategic Investment Fund, it could be um, to any key stakeholder that impacts on them. And we're supporting them, we're promoting the sector, and we're also representing them and advocating on their behalf. So how do you measure success? Well, first of all, in terms of the community, before I get to even our all our research and policy, actually, I'll start there. We had tens of missions and research papers last year with three the previous year. Like, we have... On every level, we've increased dramatically for a small organisation. The organisation, I'm the, the full-time person, but we've about seven or eight. But we have dramatically increased from when I started, we had three. Um, and we launched a membership model uh, in May 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, fee-paying one, though free for students. We've 600 members in 18 months, and we went up this year you know, despite challenging circumstances in, in the sector. And we also, we've published those Ten submissions, everything from student entrepreneurship and internships to R&D tax credits, how to, to alleviate and to get a greater take up of those, uh, to share options here in a comparative analysis, um, to the white paper on enterprise policy, our submission, what's the future for Ireland and where does the indigenous tech uh, sector sit there? Um, I could go on and on. and But every paper is a huge body of work and that we reach back to our members and we got their feedback and we also, you know, are collaborating with other sectoral organisations like HBAN, which represents the angel investors, the Irish Venture Capital Association, Tech Ireland that has all the data and uh, you're next to the stock exchange. So we go together and so that's a lot of people to get agreement mm. before you get out of, you know, the stable doors. So. We have so we've put together a huge amount of proposals and research and we give those to our members. But every year and it's coming up shortly, we uh, launch a state of startup survey. And, you know, last year we had 20 questions. Now, there's one thing about surveys, you know, <laughs> thing is to keep them short. We did 20 questions. People are going, this is going to be a disaster. But we we got 230 CEO stroke founders. It had to be the leaders of startups. So the effect of 230 CEOs to respond to that. Mm. And we're out there again and we're being equally ambitious with 26 questions um, with even more pressing issues and everything from sustainability to state supports to, um, you know, diversity to student participation in the sector. 
you name it, cost of living uh, pressures, everything is in that. And that's a great way to gauge, you know, what's happening in the sector and to direct us on what way we should be going. So you are in this position of CEO of Scale Ireland now. What, why did you go into tech? Why did you pick that industry? Well, to be honest, and I have to, to be honest, I hadn't heard of Scale Ireland, um, you know, while I was in, in journalism. But a lot of people that I knew had, and they thought it was an exciting new organisation. It was only set up in late 2019. Like, we're very young. <laughs> and by Liz uh, McCarthy, by Brent Caulfield and Patrick Walsh, and because they wanted a voice for the sector and to bring that community together uh, with one voice. And I liked what I saw. I actually was interviewing at the same time for something else. And to be honest, just the professionalism, the culture, their plans, their ambition. I just knew that it was the right it was the right thing for me. Now, as somebody who has a really, really strong pedigree in journalism and politics and great antennae in those fields, Scale Ireland and the tech industry in Ireland, the general lobbying message is often around reforming the tax code, uh, you know, breaks, incentives, how to you know, increase the size of the pie. And it's doing that at the same time as the tech sector in Ireland has often been seen, rightly or wrongly, as being one of the more supported or protected or even cosseted uh, by the state. You could say that's about multinationals and Google and Apple, but that, that's that's the impression. Using your political antennae, how is it received? When you talk to Pascal Donoghue or you know, anyone else in the halls of power, how do they receive the message that Scale Ireland has that, um, you know, founders should have better tax arrangements, for example? OK, I think there is a very positive view across the political spectrum because you are at the end of the day talking about entrepreneurs who have the vision, ambition and the drive and who are also risk taking. And I think we forget about that in conversations about this. So I think there is across the board in the political spectrum, whatever party you are, there is an admiration for those who want to set something up and to create jobs and some a, a solution, an innovative solution that has a benefit A to society and B to the economy, okay? And to their local communities through the jobs. So that is a positive. And it depends on the proposal that you're bringing to date. But I, I do want to stress on one level, you know, I'm sitting here with you. I'm not taking that risk. I'm representing them. You're not taking that risk. You're reporting on them. But if you or I in the morning were going out to set something up, it affects every level of your professional and personal life, even how to get a mortgage. Um, you would have to give two years financial information as opposed to six months if you were a PAYE worker. So there is a huge amount of pressure and risk taking. Um, as well as ambition and drive to succeed. And sometimes we don't say that enough. So I applaud those that do have, you know, that drive and have that ability to see beyond all the risks and pressures on their personal life, their family life, the hours they put in. And it is relentless. Um, so on that, I think at the core, everyone, it's very hard to be against the idea and the concept of someone uh, trying to set up a business um, and taking the risks and, you know, driving forward to, to bring forward their solution. On a proposal, if it's on share options, for instance, one of the ones, one of our key, um, you know, proposals this year, the Keep Share Option Scheme is directed at small and medium-sized businesses. And that basically is to help workers, you know, uh, on the worker side, that they take a benefit of a company doing well, 
on the entrepreneur and founder side and the company side is that they can maintain their ex, you know expert staff that may be poached from other jurisdictions or bigger companies. So the, I mean, it makes common sense to you know you know to have a healthy indigenous sector. Yeah, I, and to create the conditions the for them are that are there, fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that is fair, and I think. Scale Ireland, I think, has credibility. And you can see that through our events. We're very transparent. We host our events in public. We have a very big community in a very small period of time and have grown, you know, significantly. Is because we're considered and because we're serious and because we think out our proposals um, and, and we put them out there in a very clear way and transparent way. And I think on share options, it seems everyone would be a winner, you know, those Indigenous tech you know, companies who are trying to keep the best talent um, and that need some sort of help to compete with other stu- jurisdictions who maybe have more favourable tax conditions or bigger companies who have much bigger, um, you know, salaries and, and terms and conditions. You are one of the few people in the world whose opinion on this next question I would genuinely, truly <laughs> respect. I am actually very worried. Go on. <laughs> Are we too harsh on the tech industry in the media? In other words, do we report too harshly? Are we too critical? Or on the other hand, might sometimes we be too complimentary? Okay, well, it depends on what you're reporting on, okay, because that's such a wide, um, even if, okay. But in general, the tech, I I hear this in my own contacts and people I know and CEOs and founders who I'm friendly with. And sometimes they'll say, Jesus, could you guys... Would you ever lay off, you know, some of these tech companies? They're trying to build things and you keep all you're interested in is knocking them and you're just interested in this culture war. On the other hand, I have other friends in other businesses who say, you guys are just stenographers for the tech industry. You just, anything they do is fantastic. And, you know, you you you, you don't apply critical enough eye. I think you have to apply, you know, you know the basics of journalism to whatever sector you're in. It has to be fair, it has to be accurate, and there has to be an analytical approach. And that's not an easy soundbite for you, but it does. The same principles apply no matter what. Um, And I think um, people realise that journalists have their jobs to do, and also uh, the founders and the entrepreneurs and companies, you know, are promoting the best of theirs. Has your view changed going from one industry to another in that regard? I mean, you've given me an awful lot in the last 10 minutes on why, on the value and the importance of founders' work and the importance that they have to wider society in terms of many, many other people. Is that a perspective that has been maybe concentrated since you came over from the media business? Well, I was operating in, and I was working in a field that some would perceive as a bubble, you know, Leinster House. Um, And some founders have said to me, you know, when was the last time, you know, that questions have come up on leaders' questions about entrepreneurship or any of these issues that affect people on the ground? I think that's a fair and balanced point. Uh, Equally so, I do think there has to be, you know, I'm not going to, you know, throw all my journalistic, you know, um, skill sets out and say there shouldn't be a thorough, but fair and accurate um, look at, at what, you know, uh, the sector is doing. And, you know, it's such a broad sector. But sometimes, for instance, we focus so much on tech unicorns and the numbers. You know, it's like a lottery. We've got X, we've got Y. And, you know, we can all be accused of doing that. But it's actually some of those companies we've never heard of that are creating, you know, jobs in their community, scaling at a pace, uh, you know, 
have, you know, strong revenue, you know, returns that we don't report on because it's not sexy or it's not a headline, but they're providing valuable jobs, exports, growth, and also in their communities. And they don't lend themselves to easy headlines or sound bites. Mm. So that is something that is missed. And I know if I were you in the morning trying to suggest that to your news editor, and they're going, okay, what's the line? What's the te- headline? And every in every newsroom that happens. But sometimes because we are looking always for that soundbite, we kind of miss the major shifts or dynamics. And that is something that is important. I do think we don't talk, talk enough about, you know, the risks that entrepreneurs do. I mean, that's what I'm really interested in, because as somebody who was at the very top of media for so long and who now is in a really interesting role as CEO of Scarell Ireland, where you are exposed to so many of the issues that founders and startups face, I do wonder, it's just an interesting um, question as to whether we in the media are too focused on critical deconstruction rather than building. And I don't want to, you know, popularize this too much, but like one of the big tech devices right now, today, this week, this month is Elon Musk and Twitter. And I don't want to get into the, the that's everything, a diff- everything that's that goes with that. Well, it, it, it is. But but on, it, it, what's interesting here is to the outside world, for example, he's increasingly coming across as some kind of a childish entitled billionaire who throws tantrums and and is ripe for ridicule in that sense inside the tech industry and among some of those founders who I would know here in Ireland indigenous founders there still is a genuine and a keen appreciation and respect for him based on the things that he's built mostly Tesla and SpaceX and and even though they'll admit that he's made some missteps they dislike the intensity of the criticism that Musk receives and they think it's disproportionate overall. And that's been an ongoing tension that I have felt in the last few years covering tech that, and I I just wonder where the the correct balance is, Um, whether we in the media, whether it's just easier to be criticizing tech and companies and founders all the time, where it's easier headlines, whether, you know, maybe it feeds into some sort of culture war that, that might drive circulation, or whether, you know, we should, that that is a necessary check and balance on what is a sector which has an enormous amount of power now, you know? Okay, I would just, you know, on, I think the way that Elon Musk announced those job losses, there are very few people who are going to give him kudos for that in any sector, whether you're a techie or not. I well, mean, so, some of the to be honest, tech I, I guys say, so. "Oh, he's cleaning house." You might not like the way he do it. He he does it, but but that's a that's an important. It's important they have respect and dignity for those workers uh, who have to create, you know, that company. And no matter what sector you're in, that's it, it's not just about tech. Whatever sector you're in, I don't think anyone wants to see that become the norm. I mean, that shouldn't be the playbook. Um, and I would, I mean, that's you know, that would be a race to the bottom for a lot of people if that was the norm. Mm. You know, uh, there might be a respect for his tech, you know, um, abilities and all of that. But Tesla, for example. Yeah. yeah. And that's but I don't think there's many people within the tech world who would like the way that he made those announcements mm. and, you know, implemented it. And it doesn't have to be that way in any sector. And I see a lot of people, by the way, and I want to contrast that. I see a lot of people in the tech sector 
and they have become acquihires. And I was dealing with one during the year and they sorted out all their staff. Um, and this is a startup. They sorted a great startup with a great, impactful uh, solution. And it just didn't work out. And that's part of the startup story. But they sorted out all their staff and did the de- best by them. So, you know, um, and that is the case across the board. A lot of people work hard to look after the staff that have helped grow their company, had the same vision with them. So um, I don't think that's sectoral. I think it's personality based. Mm. It's nothing got to do with the tech sector, what he's doing. It is a personality. Mm. Um, that would be my idea. Yeah, there might be a cult there, although I'll get into trouble for saying uh, that again. Anyway, Martina Fitzgerald, CEO of Scale Ireland. Thank you very much for coming in to talk to us today on The Big Tech Show. And that is all we have time for for this week and for this year, indeed, because this is the last podcast we will have for 2022. Thank you very much for being uh, with us uh, for that journey. Thanks also to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced, as always, to Gavin Hennessy, uh, who was on sound and made us sound so good today. Um, so thank you very much for me, Adrian Weckler, uh, the tech editor of the Irish, Indep- Irish and Sunday Independent. And we will talk to you again in 2023. Bye-bye.